Great. Good morning. I am Hannah, and I'm sitting down on this fine Monday afternoon with Dean Elmendorf. Thank you, Hannah. I'm excited to have this chance to talk with you. So I guess off the bat, I'd like to go back to the beginning. And I was curious what got you interested in that sort of work and stepping into the public service realm. So I started to become interested in economic policy when I was in high school, actually. Oh. And then I went to, but I didn't know much about it. I was I enjoyed social studies class. Um, and then I went to college at Princeton and I took an economics course and I thought it was really great because I Was it felt, just like an intro? It was the intro uh, okay. macro course. So sort of half of Ec 10 at great. Harvard, but I was not at Harvard. I was at Princeton and it was Econ 101 taught by Alan Blinder, who went on to become a member of the Council of Economic Advisors and the vice chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. And Alan brought to life how economic policy could help to make a better world. And I just found economics a really interesting way to think about the world, to make sense of what's, what's going on in the world, and then to try to make the world better. So I took economics courses as an undergraduate. I came to Harvard, um, got a PhD in economics, and but wanted to work in Washington. Uh, I wanted to work on uh, national economic policy. So I moved to Washington and was in work in Washington, a number of places around the government, uh, for more than 20 years. Uh, and then um, I worked at the Federal Reserve Board, I worked the Treasury Department, the Council of Economic Advisors, uh, and the Congressional Budget Office. And then when my term as director ended, I thought I would um, just go to a think tank in Washington uh, or something. I really had no plans. And at that moment, um, True Faust uh, was looking for a new dean for Harvard Kennedy School. And she invited me to come up and talk with her and with faculty members and others at the school. Great. Uh, what Was there a specific part of economic policy that you saw as particularly fascinating or that would give an opportunity to really improve a lot of people's lives? Or was it just a general sort of interest in how it works? Well, so I, would, so I took intro macro in the fall of 1979. <laughs> so long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, and I was, uh, so this was a period in which... Um, Economic growth was weak. Uh, inflation had been quite high. Um, the country was about to go into uh, recessions, one in 1980, and then again, um, there were two that came very close on each other's heels. So it was a time in which the overall economic conditions uh, weren't looking very good in this country. And what Alan Blinder taught, which was traditional macroeconomics, uh, provided a really uh, insights, I thought, into what was going on yeah. that I found very helpful in making sense of uh, stories in the newspaper, basically. And then also provided uh, tools you could use to make things better. So, yeah. you know, fiscal policy and monetary policy change inflation and unemployment. And economic I'm, I'm learning growth. a little bit about that now <laughs> for the first time. Right. And so, yeah. so it seemed like it was a way to both understand and then to, and then to improve things for people. What were some of the biggest challenges or frustrations um, when you were working on economic policy? Well, there are a lot of, I mean, the I'm challenges, sure a, a whole <laughs> podcast just about frustrations. No, I think the, I mean, one fundamental challenge in thinking about economic policy is there's a lot that economists do not understand about the mm -hmm. world. And over and over again, at the Federal Reserve Board, at the Congressional Budget Office, and my other jobs, I wish that there was more that economists knew about how yeah. changing A was going to affect B. 
and um, and economists are working hard to learn more and more is known now than it was when I started in the business. Um, but this is fundamental uh, areas where we just don't really know mm-hmm. what's what's happening and why. So is that part yeah. of that challenge? Yes, since, since I've, um, I, I didn't take any economics as an undergrad, but since I've been here, I think every economics professor class lecture has said something like, I'm going to tell you things the best I know them, but nothing is more than maybe 60% true. And like everyone's sort of sitting there like, Wait a minute. Yes, and I think it's important to recognize that uncertainty yeah. and to, to become clean about it. Right now, in fact, the profession is thinking, is rethinking some aspects of federal budget policy. Uh, and I'm one of the people who's done some writing in this area. And we are coming to different views about right. some important issues than we've had for most of my professional lifetime. Um, so that's the, that's a challenge, but it's also, of course, the reward, uh, the idea that more thinking, more research, more careful analysis can help improve understanding. So that's one challenge. I think another challenge I found um, when I started to work more in economic policy at the end of the Clinton administration, in the Clinton administration, was that politics um, matter a lot on when economic policies are made. And economists sometimes learn, often I think, learn about economic policy on a, on a blackboard in a sort of pure world where where the professor or the student can just say, well, let's just have monetary policy do the following thing. Let's right. have fiscal policy do the following thing without worrying about how you actually get that, might get that to happen. Definitely. And so that's, that's initial challenge. And I think when economists are faced with that, they can go different directions. Some people decided rather they want to focus just on the economics right. and they sort of maybe pull back even a bit from the policymaking so they can continue to to, to learn about the economy better. And that's great for people who want to do that. I sort of went the other way. I felt that I wanted to understand better how this process of, po- of politics, how the process of public leadership yeah. mattered for economic policy. Uh, so I really enjoyed the chance to learn more about aspects of policymaking that aren't right. standard economics courses. Yeah, and, and um, beyond just economics, it seems like well, it has felt to me that that is such an important gap to bridge here at the Kennedy School um, yes. is like that. How do you bring together the world of research and academia with actually getting things done on the ground? And it seems incredibly challenging. It, it is, and ideally, as you say, when, when when we're doing this right at the Kennedy School, we're bringing those perspectives together yeah. for students. Um, uh, but it's a challenge, even for our faculty, even for people who've been involved in the world of policymaking and economics or anything else. It's a challenge to try to capture the lessons we've learned and to bring that to bring that to our students. But I also want to say, I think it's important for economists and others to not just view the politics as a, an interference. It's right. not just sort of just unfortunate feature that economists don't rule the world. Economists shouldn't rule the world. Elected, our elected representatives should right. make these decisions. And at its best, the process of politics, the process of public leadership is to understand what people want and to formulate policies that are responsive to people's needs. Mm-hmm. And so the, the political process, the, pro, the process that leaders go through in developing policies is a positive feature for the world, even if it's a little unfamiliar uh, in a basic economics course. Yeah. So how, how do you think about teaching students how to navigate that tricky landscape um, while they're here? Um, so there are a few aspects of this. I think partly we try to have um, substantive experts on our faculty who have spent 
some significant part of their time engaged in the world of practice. So they are economists who have served at the Council of Economic Advisors. They are international relations experts who served in various roles in the government. Um, uh, so we partly we just try to bring people who, who have that interest and perspective. And we also bring people into classes, but also into as fellows, into seminars and into other remarks who really have spent their lives embedded in the world of practice. So we have mayors and governors um, who come to visit and defense ministers and foreign ministers and economic advisors and others. And those people um, bring uh, even more experience usually um, in trying to get actual things done. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we try to mix up that practical perspective with the uh, scholarly perspective. Right. And uh, at its best, then you and, you and those students end up with a, a well-rounded sense of the different aspects of what you ought to know to go forth and be great public leaders yourselves. Yeah. To go back a little bit earlier, I wanted to ask you, so you get this call from Drew Faust um, <laughs> asking if you'd like to um, come to the Kennedy School. What was attractive about it? What did that decision-making process look like? Um, <laughs> And then I guess a follow-up, it would be like, it hasn't been like you imagined it would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, so it was, I was totally shocked that she called. I had not thought about coming to Harvard to do this. Um, and I lived in Washington for more than 20 years at that point. Um, my wife's an economist. Um, she was serving at that time as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Economic Policy. So our lives have been very focused on Washington. Right. And so a call from Cambridge, as fond as I was of the time I'd spent here as a graduate student, was a was a shock. Um, and uh, but I came up and I did a day of interviews. Um, uh, actually, the truth was that I had my finished my job at the Congressional Budget Office on March 31st of 2015, and I flew to Cambridge, flew to Boston the next day. <laughs> and I was just trying to learn more about the Kennedy School, and then I had, on, and then April second, I had a full day of interviews with um, with Drew, with Alan Garber, the provost, and with uh, different groups of faculty members who were the committees advising Drew Faust in this choice, right. and um, and I met with another dean uh, from a different school, and so and um, so I, the more I learned about what's going on here at the Kennedy School, and what we could do here at the Kennedy School, the more excited. I became about being part of this. And so that's when I started to get kind of drawn in um, because the because it seemed really important that we do our jobs well here. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's the way to summarize it. Um, good public policy and public leadership make a huge difference in the world. You can watch countries where people have just thrived and countries where people have suffered um, because of good and bad public leaders. So it seems really important that we do the best we can do Kennedy School, both to help current leaders and to train the next generations of leaders. Um, so it seemed really important to do what we do. Um, and the people who I knew I would be doing it with were really incredibly smart people and really committed to, to this enterprise. Okay. And so I thought, wow, what a great opportunity um, that I could, uh, it seemed to me like, like the way that I could make the biggest positive difference in public leadership was to come here and yeah. try to work with the faculty and the students and the staff and the alumni and friends of the school uh, to make to make the most of what we do.
it's so nice because I feel like that is so reflected in the way the students view their time here too is it's time to figure out how we as individual students can then go on and make the largest impact possible given yes. our skills and um, experiences and things like that. Yes. Um, is it challenging to get faculty who are in the policy realm to come and take time to teach? Or because I mean, we have, we have such an, like everyone here is, is unbelievable, but I imagine there could be some resistance or. Um. <laughs> well, so attracting and retaining faculty members of the caliber we have here at the Kennedy School, really hard because these people are highly sought after by other universities, by governments to, to employ them. Um, so I spend a lot of my time trying to make sure this is the best environment for our faculty members to do what they want to do. Right. Um, and, uh, and the students are a big draw. Uh, so the chance to teach students, to teach our students, to teach Harvard Kennedy School students is one of the reasons the faculty members come here and stay here. Um, it's also an environment where the research that faculty members do uh, can get a lot of attention in the world because right. of the reputation of the Kennedy School, uh, because of the platform that, that Harvard provides. That's another part of the draw. Um, then we try to run the school in a way that um, maximizes the faculty members' chances to, to do the work they want to do and sort of minimizes the distractions from that. Yeah. Uh, when we're trying to recruit faculty members, I say to them that if they, um, if they think they can do their best work here at the Kennedy School, they should probably come. And if they don't think they can do their best work here, then probably they shouldn't come because that's what they're, what, yeah. that's what they're trying to accomplish with their <laughs> lives. So my job is to make sure this is the place they can do their best work. But that work, uh, absolutely, in, in my mind and theirs, um, includes the teaching of Kennedy School students. Yeah. Um, and, that's a big, and it is a big draw to have the students we have uh, in order to get our faculty, and it's a draw for our students to have faculty of this sort. So it, 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 it all works out, but, it, but with a lot, of, a, lot of, like, a lot of work yeah. behind the scenes. Um, is it difficult as well to balance? There's such a broad range of interests and every imagined sector and field and part of the world. Um, how do you think about making sure that everyone is getting what they want while also sort of instilling these core values and skills in all of the students and faculty? Yeah, this is a great question because it's a, it is an ongoing challenge. In some sense, we're trying to cover every topic in yeah. public policy um, everywhere in the world uh, across multiple sectors. That's a lot to cover. <laughs> and there are a lot of, so there end up being a lot of gaps, even with a school the size of the Kennedy School. We can't actually cover everything everywhere. Um, and moreover, sometimes you have your biggest impact by focusing on certain issues right. and trying to hire a cluster of faculty members, build up a program in some area, design a set of courses around some topic. Um, at the same time, it's hard to be the leading school of governance in the world if right. you just totally ignores whole issues. <laughs> so we try to balance those considerations um, and, uh, and try to build uh, some clusters and particularly important topics while also trying to make sure that there are um, as few out and out holes or gaps right. <laughs> as we can have. Uh, so this year, for example, we're doing a, a big push to hire faculty in the area of social policy. Uh, so think of problems of education and labor right. markets and uh, uh, income inequality and economic mobility and so on. Um, this is an area where the Kennedy School has been quite strong, but because of um, uh, some retirements and other events, 
uh, faculty in this area is not as strong as it used to be. And we're making a big push to hire more faculty. And because we're looking at a number of people, have made a number of offers to people in this area, they are partly drawn to us because we made the other offers. Right. <laughs> and those people will be drawn to us. So that's how we, so it's a focus right now in the hiring process. But uh, last year, um, we hired a number of people who were practitioners in public leadership. Uh, this is Wendy Sherman, Arthur Brooks, who will start yeah. this summer, and Cornell Brooks, who's here. Uh, and we hired them as a, as a cluster as well. And I think for them, part of the appeal of coming was the others were coming. Right. Would bring different but complementary perspectives. Uh, so we're, and for next year, we will focus on a few areas, probably, in our faculty hiring. Um, and then when the faculty members are here, then they're the ones that build the rest of the operation really around them. So they right. develop new courses, they are doing research, they bring in practitioners they know, and that then generates a whole set of activities that students are, are a crucial part of. Yeah, it, and it has been amazing to me, um, just looking at the courses that are offering, offered and things like that, how cutting edge the faculty is in terms of like what's going on in the world and staying really on top of those things because yeah. I imagine you have these things that are really big issues at one point and then sort of they fade and then there's another thing but um it you know it seems like keeping the correct faculty like at all times given how rapidly things are changing in the world um adds a whole another dimension to that yes it does the world doesn't stand still and we need to move with it but not in a sort of faddish way. Right. right. You can't say, well, this year's issue in yeah. the Boston Globe is X, so we should do all the work on X. And part of our crucial part of our strength is that we are building the underlying base of evidence to make the right kinds of policy decisions right. to be effective public leaders. And so we can't get distracted by fads. On the other hand, we don't want to miss really important new developments. So one of the areas that we've been focused on the past few years is building the school's work on technology and yeah. governance. And technology is changing the way we think about national security. It's changing uh, labor markets and economic opportunities. It's changing the media and politics. It's changing how governments administer their basic services. And we need to be up with the times, as you say, in all yeah. those areas. And so we rely on um, some new faculty members we rely on existing faculty members who do stay at the forefront of what they do. Uh, sometimes we rely on visitors, um, lecturers who yeah. will teach for a semester or a year, who might bring us something that um, we can't find yet in a right. permanent faculty member. Um, so, and then on the flip side of these broad range of topics and you know dynamic issues that are changing, um, what are so, some of the most core things you think are really important that every student who comes through here learns? So we are, um, we have launched uh, a renewal of our MPP core curriculum uh, on the view that <laughs> the curriculum as it now stands is not as effective as it could be. And we're going to, we use a lot of student time in our MPP core. We use a lot of faculty time yeah. in the MPP core. Uh, so we need to make sure that we're getting the most mileage out of this effort that we can. And as we have talked with students, and I met with a group of students this morning to talk yeah. about from uh, the MPP1 class, to talk about their experiences, um, and they had some terrific insights that we will use this summer in our work. Um, we've surveyed alumni of the school. We've surveyed employers and potential employers of our students to ask what 
skills they value the most when they're looking for people to hire. Um, so, uh, and we talk as faculty members about what we think we're doing well and not so well. And so out of these different perspectives will come a revised view in a few years of what is the, what the core of the MPP <laughs> experience should be. Um, uh, I don't want to prejudge all of that thinking because I'm not going to be the person to do all of it, of course. Um, most of this work will be done by faculty members with this input from students and right. employers and so on. And we haven't done it yet. But I think there are a few things I would say about the curriculum. It needs, um, uh, it needs an ethical grounding. Um, it needs uh, training in um, analytic skills. Right. Uh, and it needs training in leadership skills. And those are pretty broad buckets. Uh, yeah. um, but I think uh, one needs to be able to do, to do analysis or at least to understand analysis to question and challenge analysis mm -hmm. about economic policy, international relations, um, what have you in, the, in, the, in our analytic realms. But we also need to be training people to be effective public leaders, to have the communication skills, the negotiation skills, the ability to create a narrative, the ability mm -hmm. to um, manage oneself, to lead oneself, um, and then to bring others along. Um, so there's a whole set of those skills we need to teach as well. And we need to cram all this in to a small enough amount of time that you and other students can then go on and take electives and focus on the particular areas you want to focus on. Yeah. So that's the MPP. Um, I, I should say while I'm at it, though, that for the mid-career right. students, we have just launched this set of online courses. I saw that, yes. And so I'm very excited about mm -hmm. this for a, for a number of reasons. We started this a few years ago. I thought the, the school ha had already had and has now other courses that are online. In yeah, I, I do like that HBX, um, yeah. the business school has the one. Yeah, so <laughs> they have quite school, a few. Yeah. So we've had them in pieces, but we have not had a, a unified view of what we're trying to present. Right. And so I thought that it was time for us to try to do that. And we started with mid-career students. Um, and we started with mid-career students because I think it can be especially hard for people in the middle of their careers to come to Cambridge for a year. Yeah. And the question is, what can we do for people who can't, who can't come? Can't come because they don't have the time, because of their own jobs, because of family issues, because of the financial cost of coming. What can we do for them? And as I talked with uh, people, the faculty here, the faculty members thought they actually could create a set of courses that would be real courses in the Harvard Kennedy School right. sense. This was not just a sort of casual, uh, what it wash over you. It's not a MOOC. It's not going to be right. massive. Uh, online courses. Um, we've developed courses that are uh, require some touch by the school, so and some interaction between the students. So there are, great, will be yeah. there are assignments and and course assistants and faculty members here on interactions among the students, as well as the parts that are that are online that we literally online just sort of available to, to watch. Uh, so I think it's going to be very very effective at teaching some core set. Of skills to mid-career students and again it, it, it models uh, a bit after what I just said which is their analytic skills and there are there are skills you might think of as leadership skills. Yeah. Um, do you find it more challenging to teach from that ethical bucket or like the leadership bucket? Um, it, it seems like it's a it's a difficult thing to put into a classroom um, when people yes. are sort of out there. I mean traditionally 
the analytic skills are called the hard skills. Yeah. And we, we use the term soft skills for the communication and negotiation right. and persuasion and so on. Um, but wow, those are super hard skills <laughs> to learn. <laughs> and, they really are. <laughs> and so, um, so I think they're just hard skills and hard skills. Um, hard and harder. Hard and harder. Um, and, you know, I think we, I think, um, I think different kinds of material can be taught best in different ways. And uh, I think nobody wants to sit and listen to an hour or somebody just right. talking at you. You know, I, so when I give a talk, I never give a talk that goes that long. Because nobody wants to just sit and listen <laughs> without interruption to somebody else talking for that amount of time. Um, but I think there are some things where, where, where we correctly do more in more of a traditional teaching format. Right. You know, slide one, slide two, slide three. But there are other kinds of skills where I think we, we do more and should do even more teaching in ways that are not the traditional sort of lecture format, but are more about um, simulations, case studies, um, flipped classrooms, yeah. all sorts of interactive experiences where students get a real chance as this is going on to practice what we're talking about. Definitely, yeah. And I think more. I think over time, more of our courses need to have more of those elements and fewer of the traditional lecture approach. I mean, that seems like it's been the case so far, at least to me. Um, it's a lot of interactions and um, so much like learning just from other students. I think that that's been, yes, if, if not as much more than, you know, what you get out of the actual classes themselves. Um, it's yeah, just one so of the exciting. great rewards of a Kenyan school classroom is all the different people yeah. who come to <laughs> it from all over the world and all sorts of different backgrounds. And that is both a... Uh, for our faculty members, that's a challenge because you have to try to find a way right. to teach a class, teach some sort of material to people who come with very different backgrounds and yeah. degrees of knowledge of the, of the subject. But also for the faculty, it's very rewarding. I think for the students, it's tremendous because you get to you get to to make connections. I don't mean just that in a LinkedIn sense. Right, so right. That's true. Networking. You make real <laughs> connections with people yeah. who, who had these different life experiences. They may disagree with you about a lot of things. And you get to figure out why and to learn yeah, from that. Definitely. I'm curious, like if someone if someone were to give you give you or the school in general, if that's like more comfortable, a compliment, um, <laughs> like what would you find to be the most meaningful thing someone could say about what the Kennedy School is doing really well? Or a couple of things. Well, I say that we are trying to train principled and effective public leaders. Okay. And if people come to me and they say, that's what you're doing, <laughs> then I feel really good about that. And if they say that you're doing that okay, but you could do it better, then I say, okay, you, give me some suggestions. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get right. better at it all the time. Because it is hard. <laughs> it's just hard yeah. to, to do this. And it's harder in a world that is changing, as you noted earlier. So um, I'm always looking for ideas to get better. And I think, um, I think it can be a big mistake of successful institutions, uh, and Harvard is a pretty successful yes. institution, um, it can be a mistake of successful institutions to rest on their laurels, right. to be too proud of what they've done and not hungry enough about what they need to do. And we need to stay hungry. Yeah. It, it seems like also with things like the online classes, um, making the material here so much more accessible to so many more people is really important i mean a lot of the things that 
I've learned, and I think my classmates would agree, it's like we should everyone should have to learn these things like in high school. Yeah. Um, so it's you know just beyond the people that have the chance to be here, getting that information and um, those types of skills just more out there in the world um, seems so important. And I don't know. Sometimes I feel like Harvard wants to protect that like elitist kind of. Um, you know, like we're up here and this is what we're doing, but it seems like a great move to, yeah, so our goal, to make it more legible just to the general population. Yes. Our goal is to, is to empower as many public leaders as we can. And uh, we have about a thousand students at the Kennedy School at a point in time. We'll graduate 650 or so. Um, a big group of terrifically talented people, but it's a really big world. Yeah. And if we can reach more people, maybe many more people, in some new technological way that just increases our effectiveness, what we're trying to do. And we, we want the biggest networks of people out there who've been trained by us um, that we can, that we can yeah. produce. Um, and I think technology gives us, uh, if we use it well, gives us a chance to do that. I mean, we're, we're going to insist on doing it right. I don't want to just pass out um, pieces of paper right. with our name on it. <laughs> I want to convey the learning. Yeah. And as long as we can do that effectively, and that's we're going to do all we can. Um, I will ask you one more question, and then I probably have to let you go. Um, but looking forward, and I guess, or, or just sort of considering the world around you now, um, are there, what, what would you say are the couple things you're most concerned about or think that we as a school or broader community need to focus on um, addressing and being ready for? Well... If you look uh, across this country and in others, you see a lot of people who have really lost confidence in their leaders, uh, private as well as public, in fact. And they've lost confidence because, uh, in many cases, they don't think the system is working for them. Right. Um, the economic system, the social system, the political system, they don't feel like they're being represented. They don't feel that their interests are being taken seriously enough. They don't feel that they have the opportunities to advance in their lives and to make help their families be uh, happier over time. And uh, a number of people are right to be critical of the policies that they've faced and the leaders they've had. And I think those of us who have a chance to do something about that really need to with all yeah. of the energy, all of the wisdom um, that we can bring to bear. Um, you know, public leaders are public servants, first and foremost. And I think we need to, all of us who have this, the privilege um, of being at the Kennedy School now, need to use that privilege in the service of the people who can't be here. Definitely. And to give them the chances um, that they want and deserve to thrive in their lives. And so, um, and that's what, that's why I get up early and stay up late, <laughs> is, is, um, is to be as a uh, positive a force right. in the Kenya school's mission to do that as I can. Right. And helping students figure out how best they can do that as well. Like we talked about earlier. Yes. And yeah. I think um, I said sometimes that when I'm in some doing something in my job, that's you know, frustrating. There's too much email. There's too much of something. Um, I go and I sit in the forum or I sit out in the dining area or I sit in the commons and I uh, talk to students. And I hear the things that you all are thinking about and heading out to do. And um, I find that really incredibly inspiring. 
um, and I have great optimism about the future of the world in your, your all hands. <laughs> um, not that my part is done, uh, not that I'm washing my hands of it, but I feel great optimism uh, really for the future, um, importantly because of the students at the Kennedy School. Is there anything else you would like to add um, before we wrap up? Or? <laughs> so there's one thing I realized as yeah. I thought about our the pedagogy that we didn't talk about. We talked about not doing lecture format, and we talked about other things you can do in a classroom. We didn't talk enough about what we do outside of the classroom. Yeah. So in fact, I think you are doing something this summer that is related to the to the Kennedy School's mission. Is that right? Yes. Um, Can you say what you're doing? Can I ask you a question? Yeah, you can ask me a question. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm working at the Cities Rise Initiative um, for New York, um, which is working on data-driven equity and um, human well-being and things like that, and modeled after the Innovation Field Lab, which started um, at the Ash Center here. Um, yeah. So this is so what I think is a, well. See, this is what I think is a great, great part of education is the students who have a chance to go in the field. Yeah. Uh, get their hands dirty, um, working next side by side with current mayors or whoever. My only disappointment about this New York initiative, by the way, is that my hometown in New York State, which is Poughkeepsie, somehow did not Didn't find make its way it into in. this program. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to some people for you. <laughs> um, but I think this kind of learning that people do in the greater Boston area, yeah. that they do through some of these courses that you're going to do this summer, that some of our students do around the world over the summers. Um, I'd really love to to do much more of that at the Kennedy School. And I have to say, when I was consider when I was sort of weighing my options for this summer, I was asking around, and I felt like the most compelling argument to me, and why I ended up choosing this beyond it just being like a really exciting opportunity was people said like you're at Harvard now, like take advantage of what they're gonna yes. of of what you can while you're here, and it was like. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so I think you will love doing this. I don't know this particular project in detail, but um, when our students have a chance to go do this kind of field work, yeah, they almost always come back saying that, first of all, they think they made a real difference. And I get letters from mayors, city managers, thanking me for sending our teams of people to help them with That's their work. Amazing. So there's a lot of immediate service we provide. I think, secondly, you learn some things that we can't teach in the classroom. Even with practitioners coming here in the classroom, it's not the same thing as sitting next to the city manager as yeah. she or he is really doing their, their work. Yeah, and, and just some person that's living in that community and really, um, you know, on the day-to-day is experiencing what right. the problems are. Yeah. Right. So you get a perspective we just can't quite simulate in, in here in Cambridge. Definitely. Um, I think the third thing is that people realize how much fun it is to go do this kind of work. Yeah. And obviously people come to the Kennedy School where they think it's fun. They've done some of this work usually in their lives. But to really see what you can do now with the extra tools that you have at your disposal, um, it's going to fire you and everybody else up to do yeah. more of this in the future. I'm so excited to see, um, like this year went so fast, but I'm already so excited to come back in the fall and get to yeah. hear what everyone learned over the summer. And I, I think that, um, you know, we're still in exams and, and such right now, but it seems to me that everyone, um, with everything they've learned is like, so ready to be like unleashed into the yeah. world to, um, yeah. get to put it to practice and hopefully good use. Yeah. Yes. We want to turn you all loose. <laughs> <laughs> so I look forward to hopefully hearing. not regret it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing in the fall. Um, okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, this is wonderful for me i hope 
people other than my mother will listen and <laughs> um, get some inspiration and a little bit of perspective from this. So thank I'm, you. I've enjoyed talking to you, Hannah. Thank you. Awesome.